This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This is The Jerry Callahan Show. Happy Monday. Happy Patriots Day for those who celebrate. It is Marathon Monday in Boston, Massachusetts. Ironhead and I, we got to get this, we got to wrap this up quick, Ironhead. We're heading out to Hopkinton and we're going to run this sucker. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, you ready? You ready? <laughs> I'm going to be that guy that's going to have to change his underwear after like two minutes. <laughs> did, did you carbo load last night? Did you have any, uh, any pasta, any pizza? I'm actually doing keto, so I'm carb free. So this is going to be trouble. That's going to make it tougher on those hills. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know what? I used to, I used to hate the marathon. It just, you know, caused traffic and I didn't care about, you know, all the people that flew in from, you know, everywhere, Ethiopia and, and Asia and uh, Kenya and just one. And I mean, who cares? I, I didn't really understand that. I have to be honest. I didn't know how cool it was because I mean, I was at the finish line for the winners a few times and it didn't really do much for me, but the key to the marathon is go, go late and watch the people crossing the finish line at the four, five, six hour mark and see some grandmother stagger across the finish line and her grandkids run up to her. And it's just, it's a great event in this city. You just have to know, you know, what it's all about. It's not about the world-class runners from Kenya. I mean, good for them. They win, they get money, they get prizes and everything else. They get the crown of thorns and the bowl of soup and whatever. It's about the people who do it just to say they did. You know, my wife did it a few years ago. I was at the finish line. She crossed, she was in great pain, but man, she has bragging rights forever. It's a, quite an accomplishment. And I, uh, I, I've come around. I enjoy the hell out of it. It's a fun day, but uh, uh, also a kind of a solemn day being the 10 year anniversary of the marathon bombing. That was one of the wildest uh, to me, one of the wildest few days that I've ever experienced in this city. We were on the air. Uh, as the manhunt was going down for the Zarniev's two Muslim terrorists who blew up the marathon, injured 240 something people, uh, killed three, killed another one later. The, um, uh, at, uh, Sean at, Collier, uh, the cop. Yeah, Sean Collier at the MIT cop. Um, just an incredible day, just wild day. But, uh, you know, Boston survived and, uh, so many people have been affected by that. Uh, we're going to talk to one of them. My friend Jeff Bowman lost both his legs. And then uh, from the hospital, before he could even talk, helped the FBI track down the suspects. He identified, described the suspects from his hospital room. If you haven't seen it, there's a movie about Jeff. It's called Stronger. It stars Jake Gyllenhaal, who does an incredible job. He really does an amazing job of capturing Jeff. It's a better movie than Patriot's Day. Good book too. Jeff has tells his story in a book called Stronger, but he is surviving, man, and he is thriving. And uh, you know, they tried to they tried to destroy the marathon, blow it up, and and kill you know thousands, and they failed. They were planning to go to New York to blow up, kill, murder more people in Times Square, but with the help of Jeff and, and others, they uh, didn't make it that far. They didn't even make it out of out of Watertown. But uh, we will. Uh, we're going to talk to Jeff, and we'll uh, replay 
our interview with our friend uh, Greg Kelly from Newsmax, which was pretty good. He's got a book out about the cops, defending the cops, and it's good. He's good. But uh, we will do that today on Marathon Monday in, uh, in Boston. Hi, joining us now is our friend Jeff Bowman. Jeff is a survivor of the marathon bombing attacks. He lost both of his legs, but he also helped identify these suspects and bring them to justice and save lots of people. I thought uh, Jeff's the author of uh, the book Stronger, which I highly recommend. Uh, and uh, he's a survivor, man. He's just uh, been uh, living his life the last 10 years. I got to ask you, Jeff, right off the bat, does it feel like 10 years? You sick of that question yet? <laughs> no, it, um, I think once you hit your thirties, 10 years goes by pretty quick. Huh? When I was Did younger, you, it felt like 10 years was a lifetime. And now 10 years, it's like a snap of the snap of the fingers. 10 years quick. since, since your life, lots of people's lives changed forever. I just uh, saw the number 281 people injured that day as they waited uh, for the, for, for their friends, their loved ones to finish the marathon. You were waiting for your uh, girlfriend, Erin, to finish. You were at the finish line. You're uh, you were there when the bombs went off. Um, your life changed forever that day. Uh, I mean, <laughs> nothing would ever be the same, but it seems like you're doing pretty well. Is that true? Yeah, I do. All right. I have my ups and downs, you know, it's tough. Um, yeah, I lost my legs instantly above the knee. Um, at that moment, I mean, you interviewed me afterwards. I was in, still in actually the hospital. I believe I called you from my, my hospital bed. That was a, that was a cool interview. If you remember that. Of course. And, uh, you in your hospital, you bed, in, while in your hospital bed, what do you remember about helping to identify, uh, the Zardievs, you couldn't speak at the time. Am I right? Well, yeah, there were, I woke up on Tuesday morning after the whole thing. And, uh, I always joke around because I say, <clears throat> I knew I wasn't in heaven because my friend Sully was right there staring right. at me <laughs> and he was, he was leaning over me. And, uh, yeah, I, at that point I, I was, I had the breathing tubes in and I was just out of surgery basically. And, and I, he gave me a pen and pad and he was trying to tell me I didn't have my legs. And I knew that. And I wrote down on the pen and pad to him, Lieutenant Dan, like in Forrest Gump. Right. And he was, saw that and he was, he was shaken and he, uh, he was just talking to me and my friend Jill was there too. And they were talking to me. And then I wrote down on the pad. I said, I, I saw the guy I, I saw him because I started, they started to tell me like, you know, they caught one kid. No, they, they were looking for him. They didn't catch him. They, they, they have, I don't, well, you know, they had no idea. So as soon as I wrote down, I saw him, he looked right at me, like all hell kind of broke loose. Like the FBI came in instantly, the state police, and they were trying to question me. And then my nurse had to like, Odessa had to push them all out. And they spent the next couple hours trying to like, take the breathing tubes out and getting me ready to talk because they wanted me to talk and make a statement right there. And, and they needed the information. So at that point, I, after that, I, I worked with the FBI and got a, an oral, uh, an oral statement down of like uh, the older brother, Sarnayev who bumped into me in the crowd. And 
it was like his height, his weight, his description of what he was wearing. And they went and they were like, I didn't see uh, those two FBI agents again. They left and, you know, the next day, Wednesday was like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday was the huge manhunt. And, you know, I I just hope the information I gave helped them out. And I, I think it did because when I was getting prepped for the trial, I got to see all, a lot of the evidence that they had. I mean, they brought in just for me, the file was like this, this thick of this photos and, and then the testimony, I got to read it, the oral statement that I gave to the FBI agent. And it was pretty good. It had his height, his weight, what his hat that he was wearing. Like right. he had this backpack on, he had a white, a white, black, gray coat. So hopefully they, that's how they went through back through the video. And they're like, all right, there they are. And then they ID'd him. And we were all gripped for the next few days. With the, you know, the next few days we're, we're gripping for all of us to watch the manhunt. And I assume uh, you're, you're still in the hospital, obviously. Uh, did you get to, did you watch, did you follow it? I mean, we know that they were heading yeah. to New York. We know they were heading to New York. That was the plan with a bunch of explosives to kill a bunch more people. And you played a big yeah. part in stopping that. But were you watching it from the hotel? I mean, the hospital? Yeah. Well, I, you know, I think I helped, but. Our, our, uh, our police officers help too. You know, the Watertown guys, they're the ones that tracked them with, to the stolen car and then cornered them in that neighborhood in Watertown and, you know, eventually killed the older brother, which was good. And then the whole city was looking for the younger brother in that small area. But yeah, I watched that on Friday. I was like watching it on TV and, my fam, I remember having people in my room being like, yeah, you should have watched this. And I was like, what? I want to watch it. I want to see what happens. And Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, and then I, I remember watching like all the people cheering when they got them the next, the next day with like, you know, they were driving through the police officers and everyone was happy. It was good to see because it was tough because no one was allowed in the hospital. No one was allowed out. No one was allowed to come see me. And then after that, everything lifted and, and everyone, and it started to become normal again. It was it, weird it, that they shot everything down like that. Never seen that. Yeah, I mean, you forget how, what a wild few days it was. The whole city was shut down. Everybody was looking for white hat and black hat and uh, wondering yeah. how people like you were, were doing, how many people were going to survive. You were one of 14, I believe, amputees. And like I said, yeah. hundreds of injured I always wonder this, and I've talked to you before about it, but um, how do you get your mind around it? You look at this, and I still I still read about it and hear about it, and I've seen, obviously, read your book and seen the movies, and it's just two guys from Cambridge who somehow got radicalized and decided for their, you know, for whatever religious reasons, they're going to blow up the marathon and kill and hurt a bunch of innocent people. I mean, do you ever sit there in your quiet moments and say, what the hell was that about? Yeah. 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 I, for the longest time I was like, you know, it just can't be them two involved. Right. Um, and you know that it wasn't, you know, the FBI, they had that run in with that kid in Florida that they shot instantly on the spot. Right. Um, uh, there's talk about people out in Western mass because to me, it's, that's a sophisticated, uh, IED. I mean, I'm not too, up to date on IEDs or, or how to make them. But from talking to other FBI agents and stuff, like I was like, 
the cell phones, so you bought the cell phones out, and they're like, yeah, it didn't do anything because they used remote control uh, car switches. And I was like, oh, so he had to have been close. And I'm like, the range on those isn't. And they're like, yeah, he's probably within, you know, 100 yards, 200 yards. So, you know, I saw him in the crowd. He bumped into me. Then I saw his bag, and I was like, that's weird. I was like, and then I was talking to the girl I was with, like, let's get out of here. And then the bomb went off. So it all happened within a, a minute, a minute, two minutes. And he was close. And that's, that's freaky. Uh, it's just crazy. I, I always think, I'm like, they had to have tested that, tested that stuff out somewhere, somewhere not in Cambridge. Can't just test that out in Cambridge. Um, and then, you know, when they talk about the new people out Western Mass, I'm like, that makes sense. They could test stuff out there. And then, I don't know. It's just, that's just a rabbit hole, right? You go down a rabbit hole and then I started to read that how he was radicalized. He took a trip out to, to Dagestan and he spent time in a, in a, in one of those radical camps and they taught him how to do some of the stuff. And that was before. And then he was put on a list, right? The FBI knew about him. Right. Right. Uh, and then he got, he like slipped through the list cause they, it was like his last name got cleared or, they, they did a follow-up interview and they decided he was okay. I don't, I don't know how it went, but. Yeah, I, I, was I, just, I was just reading I you know, more I about just, it and, and they're saying it's revenge for what the U S did in Iraq and Afghanistan. I'm going, so these two losers from Cambridge, you know, one guy, one kid's a college student smoking weed uh, in his dorm. The other kids are, you know, boxer and, and hanging around, not really working, collecting welfare, of course. And they decide that day that they're going to get revenge for Iraq <laughs> and just throw it all away, throw their lives away to get a revenge. It, I mean, it just, maybe, you know, maybe there's so much more to it. We don't know. I assume a guy like you spends a lot of time thinking about it and, and trying to make sense of it. I don't think you can, right? You can't. No, I don't, I don't waste too much time on it. That's good. You know what? You're doing better than some people. I know you know a lot of survivors and I know a lot of them are struggling to this day, 10 years later. Uh, I'm obviously everybody was worried, uh, you know, about you and how'd you, I mean, you've done remarkably well. I always wonder that. How do you, how do you do it, man? How do you not just give up? Oh uh, yeah. Some days I do. Some days, some days I don't want to put my legs on. Some days they're just tough. But right now I have an eight-year-old daughter, Nora. You've met Nora up, sure. up in Maine and stuff. And she gets me going. My girlfriend's a physical therapist. She gets me going. Uh, I also started a, in 2019, I started to play sled hockey for the Spalding Shamrocks. And that has been a game changer. Uh, it's, a disabled, it's a disabled sport, but there's able-bodied people that play it and jump in the sleds. I don't know if you've seen it online. Yeah. It's, it's, it's awesome. It's, it's like, it's battle. And I got pretty, pretty good at it because I played hockey growing up my whole life. So jumping in a sled was a game changer. I didn't really think of disabled sports <clears throat> after I, I, I wasn't really too into them. I was just focused on focusing on walking again. And now I got sled hockey. I, I play a little bit of wheelchair basketball at the Y in North Andover. It's a really nice Y and, but sled hockey, I ski. I started to ski on you the mono ski with the bucket. Yeah, oh yeah. I just got back from Stowe. I, I went to Stowe last weekend. Wow. I want to get Uncle Bob up on the hill. 
Do you uh, keep in touch with other survivors? I know you were at Spalding, and I'm assuming that lots of survivors had to go to Spalding to rehab. Are you uh, still in touch with them? Yeah. Uh, Mark Fukarol and I, we won our our uh, Northeast Sled Hockey League championship last wow. year. He was a goalie. I, I'll send you the picture if you want to put it up. You, uh, it's, it was, did you see was when you really, were at the when you were at when you were at the finish line? Uh, do you remember seeing other victims? Did you see Martin Richards or Lindsey Liu or Chris, Crystal Campbell or any of the guys that you know now who lost limbs? I think I was laying right next to maybe uh, Michelle Wu. I think I was laying next to, and I, I think I saw her. Um, it was just crazy. I, I, I saw the girl I was with, Michelle, and, and she's doing great. I saw her leg first, actually. That's the first person I saw, and it looked like her leg was like, looked like a shark attack, bitter. Um, wow. Shark, bitter calf off. And then I saw my legs, and I was like, ah, like, this is bad. Um, at that point, I kind of I didn't really look around until Carlos, the guy with the cowboy hat, jumped over, and he was, like, trying to put the fire out on me. And, and then I looked at Carlos. and But I saw the girl I was with, and I'm pretty sure I saw someone that wasn't moving next to me. And, and that's pretty much all I, I remember about other people there. Did, did you think it was over? Did you think you were, were dying? Yeah, yeah. After the second bomb went off, yeah, I, I, I thought we were under attack by, you know, jets. I, I thought it was bombs that came in and, and shot rockets down or missiles. That's how crazy it was. Um, and then once I realized that it wasn't that, after I was in the wheelchair going under the finish line, I was like, oh, yeah, it started to click a little bit more. Of like, you know, oh, that guy was suspicious. It had to have been the backpack. And that's right. when I was... It kind of transformed, but yeah, laying on the ground, I thought I was done. I looked at my legs and I was like, I'm losing a ton of blood. I'm done. Like there was so much chaos around me. I, uh, obviously everyone followed the case. Tamerlan, the big brother, he died in Watertown, got shot. And then he got run over by his little brother, Joker. Uh, Joker went to trial, got convicted of course, and got sentenced to death uh, uh, despite the objections by the Boston Globe and others. Uh, and uh, then they reversed it, overturned it, and then they reinstated it. And he's still, uh, he's in maximum security, but he's also facing the death penalty. Would you like to be around? Would you like to be here? I don't know, it'll probably be, you know, 50 years from now before they finally uh, carry out the execution. But would you like to see it? Not literally witness it, but are you hoping to be around for the day that he actually gets uh, gets executed. Uh, it, it's, I'm totally like indifferent on it because I don't, it, the only time I ever hear things is when I get an email from like the DOJ and I don't really think about them at all. Um, I know like other people like Mark and stuff that I think they want to know that, that like, he lives that Mark's big thing is like, he wants to live longer than that kid. Like he doesn't want, he doesn't want to pass away and that kid still be living. Um, and I can see that, like, I get that argument. Um, you don't, uh, but you know, I, I'll be happy if it does happen. I'll tell you that. But if it doesn't, I'm not really going to sweat too much about it. I you know don't let, lead a good life. You don't let that's, that's the best revenge, but you don't let a lot of things bother you. I know I would. And you're talking about Mark Fukuriel, uh, another uh, survivor who is, uh, you know, he would like to see 
uh, that that animal put down. And I don't blame him. I think I would probably feel that way. But does does anything bother you like uh, things that have bothered me? I'll give you an example. They put him on the cover of the Rolling Stone. Uh, Zarniev, they glamorized this monster on rolling. The Boston Globe ran a story saying it's our fault. We didn't embrace the Zarniefs. We didn't put our arms around them. Do those things get to you? I mean, they get to me. Do they bother you? I saw, I saw the, uh, the Rolling Stone thing. Yeah, that was horrible. I believe I was working at Costco and I think my manager have heavy Kevy. I don't think he put the magazine out on the floor because I was like back at work at that point. Oh, really? He wouldn't do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I didn't read the Globe saying that stuff. Um, I don't. I don't like how people shift blame off of right. people. Like that's his problem. That's uh, he did that. That's that. That was his choice. I know he was young, but he made a horrible decision to do that. You know, he's he walked into that crowd and put the bag down. He's got to live with that. And, you know, he put it down behind children. Like, right. he saw the kids. He, he had to have seen the kids. And, you know, he has to live with that. There's no, there's no, nobody's fault. It's no one's fault but his fault. And he has to live with those consequences. And I think Clarence Thomas put it very clear in his decision that the jury came back and gave him that sentence. And, I did a year and a half of law school at Mass School of Law, and, and we learned that the jury is, there's nothing really more powerful than a jury decision because that's what our fundamental principle of law is about. It's a jury based on your peers. It's your peers that decide this fate. And we live in a, I mean, we live in a republic, but it is a, demo, a, democrat, a, a democracy to a point, and they said that he gets the death penalty and you can't really mess with that. And, and he lied, you know, he pretended he was uh, uh, apologizing or uh, uh, remorseful, but we know he wasn't because we saw the camera in his cell where he's flipping off the camera. He has no remorse. And uh, there's, I mean, that's the only just, that's the only just punishment is, is, is death for this piece of garbage. So um, I look forward to the day it happens. Um, will you return? Have you been asked to return? Obviously Monday is the, uh, 10th anniversary, the, the, uh, uh, the 10th anniversary of the, the bombing. Uh, is it going to bring back, you know, really bad memories? Are you going to stay away from it? Will you watch? Will you attend? Will you be there for any ceremonies? No, I, I, um, Heather Abbott, the Heather Abbott foundation has, um, a lot of runners and the B the Boston athletic association is very cool. They give us, each survivor, one bib um, that we could either use for ourselves or, or donate or give away. And I usually spread it out. Like every year I'll give it to a different charity that, uh, that, that can use it. And uh, this year uh, a girl used mine that is running for Heather Abbott. And uh, she raised over eight, almost like $8,500 for that charity just with one bib, you know, and, I think that's amazing. Heather's foundation helps amputees that, you know, necessarily can't afford a, a specific prosthetic, get that prosthetic. Um, like my old goalie, Dan got a snowboard leg from, uh, from Heather and he, now he can snowboard and it's just cool stuff like that. 
but I will perhaps watch it. But this year I have a sled hockey tournament in St. Louis. It's a uh, oh, USA really? hockey disabled fest out in St. Louis. And I leave next Thursday and I don't come back till Monday. So I'll be gone. Um, and also, you know, it's funny. Uh, Jake has Jake Jonah, who played me in the movie, invited me. He want, he has this movie coming out, The Covenant. And he wants me to go out to the premiere so bad. And he's been bugging me. I told him, I was like, I have sled hockey. And he's like, come on, skip it. And he's trying to get me to skip it. But I don't, uh, I don't know. I, I just can't. I will never skip well, sled hockey. <laughs> when's, uh, when's the premiere of The Covenant? Is it next weekend? or? I think it's the 21st. So I think it's Marathon Monday. You can, you can, you can fit that in your schedule. Uh, I, I tell people this all the time. You, you should read the book. It's called stronger Jeff's story. It's very well done. It's very well written and uh, gives you all the whole play by play of how you helped identify the Zarniavs and the movie is good. It's really good too, because Gyllenhaal is amazing. I mean, he's obviously a great actor, but I think he absolutely captures. He's got all your mannerisms. He does just an amazing job. I know people think about Patriots day when they think of movies about the marathon bombing, it's a whole different story. It's personal. It's not all made up stuff. Mark Wahlberg's not in every scene. It's a really good movie. And Gyllenhaal just is amazing. I assume you're pretty proud of that. The book, the movie and everything else. Yeah, it was a cool experience. Very cool experience. I mean, it was it was a lot to do. Uh, the movie was was kind of demanding. We had to do like a hundred hundreds of interviews for it just to try to get it out there and, and move it. And two film festivals. We did Toronto and Rome, and that was the coolest thing I've ever done. Awesome. That is so good to hear. I've said, I've told people this for years now, but you're doing amazingly well. I'm not sure I could, I could be in the spirits. They have the high spirits that you seem to always have. It's good to see uh, 10 years later. I cannot believe it's been 10 years, but uh, they took your legs, man, but they couldn't take their spirit. They couldn't take your heart. That's good. Yeah. It's good to see. It's good to hear Jeff. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And uh, if you if you haven't read it yet, get Stronger. It's a really good book. And watch the movie Stronger starring Jake Gyllenhaal. That's a good story. It tells, obviously, Jeff's story, but tells the story of the marathon, the, after, the bombing, the aftermath. It's not totally sensationalized like Patriot's Day. I think it's mostly true. Unlike Patriot's Day, I think Stronger is yeah. mostly true. Loosely based around my yeah, right. I mean, I mean, uh, Patriots Day with Mark Wahlberg in every scene was a little silly, but uh, it had a lot of, you know, it was uh, obviously had a much bigger budget. But your movie's better. You got your the, the Bowman movie's better than the uh, Wahlberg movie, but uh, you got that going for you. All right, Jeff. Thanks. We will talk to you again soon. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, 
Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. A recession-proof investment without compromise, European American Armory Corp or EAA Corp has specialized in providing high-quality, innovative, and reasonably priced firearms to the U.S. market since 1990. Choose from a wide selection of unique and traditional pistols, whether you're looking for a concealed carry, revolver, shotgun, or competition pistol, EAA Corp has it. EAA's 1911 series comes in compact carry or full size in three popular calibers. First time gun owner, no problem. EAA Corp all-in-one 9mm MC9 striker fire pistols come fully equipped in a sleek, light, ergonomic package ideal for everyday carry. In addition, their lineup includes MC312 series of 12-gauge shotguns for hunting, sporting, tactical, or personal defense that will exceed your expectations. There's a limited lifetime warranty on every series available today from EAA Corp. EAA Corp says get the quality firearm you've always wanted and save yourself a lot of your hard-earned money. Visit eaacorp.com to learn more and order online or through your local dealer. All right, joining us now is Greg Kelly, host of Greg Kelly Reports. Perhaps the, I'd say the best show on Newsmax. I never miss it. He also hosts radio in uh, New York and he's a great follow on Twitter. Hey, Greg, how are you? Thanks for joining us. Jerry, great to be here. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, Twitter. <laughs> you are, you are almost, good, man. You put some effort into your Twitter. I'll give you that. You 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 work at it. You know, it's it's a lot of fun, and so many people are so uptight. You know, I'm having, I'm screwing around on it. It's kind of a free speech experiment, but everybody is so uptight. So <laughs> I kind of enjoy it. Thank you. I think I, I've said this to people before. I think you have the best resume of anybody on TV, and I include, you know, athletes and you know, prof- you know, uh, Peyton Mannings and those kind of guys. I, I mean, you were nine years in the Marines. You're a pilot. You just bring so much, you know, credibility when you have that kind of resume. I don't know if you do. You feel that way when you when you step in front of the camera. You know, I'm 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 very grateful that I took the path that I did. I briefly considered broadcasting while I was in college and I, I was interested in, in journalism. And I, I just thought at, at 22, you know, I really wouldn't know much of anything. And I had tried it at the college radio station and you go down to city hall and you're asking these guys questions and uh, like somehow, you know, better. Some people can pull that off. And maybe some people did know better at 22. I was not one of those individuals. I, I knew I had a lot to learn about life and, uh, you know, that I wore the uniform of the country. You know, I just, I kind of know what it's like to have something on the line. And a lot of people do, no matter what your position is in the real world, sooner or later, you got to put it all on the line. And, uh, anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful that I did not go right into being a talking head. Well, it certainly gives you a hell of a, a life experience and it makes you the perfect guy to talk to in these crazy times. I mean, I've been talking for days now, a couple of weeks now about uh, the balloons, you know, the China spy balloon and then the uh, the hobby balloon that Joe Biden shot down. I have a simple question for you as a experienced pilot in the Marines. Did you ever shoot down anything that you 
didn't know what it was. When you didn't know what it was, did you ever shoot? <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. It, <laughs> the answer is no. Uh, look, I'll be honest. I, I never shot anything in combat. I've been to combat. I, I, I was in the, uh, I, was, I was there as an embedded reporter in, uh, in Iraq during the invasion. I flew over Iraq as a Marine, but it really wasn't that bad. It was pretty benign. I only fired a Sidewinder missile, which is what they say they use on the balloon one time uh, in training. And uh, we shot at a, a flare. It was a target. And one airplane dropped the flare. It was burning. It was like 10,000 degrees. And the missile just hones right on it. And it's not like in the movies, by the way. It's very, very quiet. The whole thing is incredibly quiet. Um, but this is just one bizarre case. And I know this. What Joe Biden said yesterday, just about all of it was untrue. All right. of it. Right. I see. Here's uh, I mean, you said you never fired a missile in combat. Well, this wasn't combat either. A few days ago, and I, I found this uh, press conference from Biden to be just just stunning. He says, first, he didn't they didn't know what it was. They're not sure what it was. And they shot anyway. And then he says it's probably recreational. Then we find out it probably belonged to the Northern Illinois Bottle Cap Balloon Brigade. And the balloons they use are priced from twelve to one hundred and eighty dollars. So we used a four hundred fifty thousand dollars Sidewinder missile, an F twenty two, to take out a hobby balloon from the Northern Illinois Bottle Cap Brigade. Um, obviously, that's problematic on so many levels. But what do you think the pilots or the people just up the chain of command ordering this this shooting felt? What did they think? Well, here's what I think happened. I think after the initial China balloon goes all the way across the country, Joe Biden barely says anything about it, doesn't shoot it down until it's finished its mission. The fake news, they were protecting him. But objectively speaking, that was a real problem. And it seemed to highlight Joe's, to say the least, conflict of interest when it comes to any matters regarding China. So it was inexplicable, I think to do what he did or what he didn't do, which is let it go all the way across the country. And so I felt like he had to appear that, okay, like they overcompensated right. to make Joe appear, you know, like he's in command. He's not afraid of anything. And they're literally having him shoot at uh, yeah, the toy balloons. It's kind of like I, I put it on Twitter, a, a, a kid with a fish and uh, his father is helping him catch the fish. And in this case, uh, the fish is the balloon, the, the kid is Joe and, and, and the guy behind him is China, uh, giving him these opportunities to look like, you know, OK, we don't want to blow his cover here. He's got to look like he's in charge, but he's looking the opposite, of course, as usual. Daryl Issa, a congressman from California, said he talked to someone in the military and they said everything Biden said in that press conference was a lie. Do you think does, does that mean that the people in the military thought the whole thing was a little nuts? using a sidewinder to take out a, a, a children's toy, essentially? Well, you know, it's funny. I saw that tweet from Daryl Issa, and, and I, I, I wondered about it. I talked about it with my daddy. He, he said somebody he knows in the military. He didn't say a general. He didn't say, I mean, we all know somebody in the military. You know, I talked to two guys in the military today, and they have their theories, and we don't know. We, we don't know. I, I look, I, every time Joe lies, every time Joe opens his mouth, he's lying. He lies about the small things. He lies about the big things. Uh, so we, we can't trust him as to 
what he was reading, if it was all untrue, I'm not 100% sure. I mean, the Air Force did say they readjusted their radar. It is all unnecessarily confusing. And, you know, he said on Inauguration Day, he swore to God. I played it the other night on, my, on, on the show. He said, I swear to God that I will always level with you. <laughs> And this man's in big trouble with God. I'm sorry. We all, we're all going to have some explaining to do when we meet the big man. But Joe, I think, is is really out on a limb here. I was thinking, I guess we're lucky that the kids in the in the club, the bottle cap brigade, weren't like in the balloon or in the aircraft. Because the last time, Greg, as you recall, he ordered the military to fire a missile so he could save face was in the aftermath or in amidst the Afghanistan, the disastrous Afghanistan with withdrawal that cost them, that cost the lives of seven children, 10 people. So, I mean, which I thought was probably the worst thing he's done in his two years, but he's not reluctant to use the military to save face or to, to save his reputation. That's an interesting observation. Uh, You're onto something there. And I'm glad you mentioned Afghanistan because, uh, quite frankly, it's fallen out of my skin. It was something right. that I, I wanted to remind people of every day, and I did for about six months, but, and, and then it faded away. I mean, we lost a war thanks to Joe Biden. We lost, we lost it. The Taliban's in charge now, uh, and it's on him. It's on him. Ukraine is on him. The American people understand that. 67% of the people believe that if Donald Trump were still in office, I mean, we know that intuitively. So what he's been able to get away with, and oh, by the way, I mean, if you look at what happened to Fetterman, I think this is going to potentially blow up. I don't know. I mean, Joe has obvious health issues. They're covering for him. Fetterman had obvious health issues. They covered for him. Now he's crashed and burned. I don't know, but it's, it's, it's really heartbreaking to remember Afghanistan and the damage it did to our reputation around the world. I don't think China would have pulled this if it wasn't for Afghanistan. That's, that's true. I mean, I know you hear this more than I do, but it's a question I hear constantly is like, you know, will, will Joe run? And I go back and forth on this, Greg. I mean, I think uh, he shouldn't run. He's too old. He's, he's, he's obviously he's in the throes of dementia. He's been a disaster of a president, but he's also a very self-centered, cranky, stubborn old man. I'm not sure that they can just tell him, you know, step aside. It's time for someone else. He thinks he can do the job. Hell, he thinks he's doing a good job right now. Do you think he will step aside graciously and let someone else uh, be the nominee? Yeah, it's a fascinating question because I do believe that Joe Biden is working for Barack Obama and Susan Rice, that they're in charge. They're the ones who orchestrated this whole thing. South Carolina, everybody dropped out. Joe Biden uh, finished in fifth place in Iowa, fourth in New Hampshire. All of a sudden, he's going to be the nominee. He's not in charge. It was always the arrangement. You're going to be there for one term. Now he's feeling his oats. Look, I, you know, five years ago, I would have said, boy, oh boy, Greg, you sound like a real conspiracy theorist, uh, but it's so easy to connect the dots. I think the whole thing with the documents, you know, turning up in, uh, in, in 15 different places that he had responsibility for, I think it's an Obama operation. 
This is a way to take him out. They don't want him running again. And just like you said, I think he's resisting that. He's he, he's a stubborn kind of crazy uh, guy, and he thinks he's got it. He's still got it, right? But he but he doesn't, and and that's a way to possibly take him out uh, because he's so vulnerable. There's so much exposure, legal exposure, in Joe Biden's uh, portfolio there. Right. And I think uh, in the press conference the other day, when someone tries to ask about China and he just says, oh, give me a break. He, he doesn't feel like he should be held accountable for anything. I mean, he's been getting away with it for so long. He feels like he's above the scrutiny. And I, I think he feels like he's above someone telling him, you know, you're too old or you're too weak or you're too compromised. And he'll just say, I'm going to do it. And that will be a hell of a, you know, a civil war inside the Democrat Party. I'm sure you and I will be here for it. It'll be entertaining. Uh, I, I was just saying that to my producer. We're in for a couple of crazy years. It's been crazy, but don't you feel like stuff is just starting to roil? Yeah, it's a very strange time, uh, unlike any time in my lifetime. And, you know, you mentioned that when, when that question was asked about China amid the cacophony of uh, questions. But when that guy said China, family, conflict of interest, Joe's head snapped. It was like a, uh, you know, a dog hearing a, uh, a dog whistle. He just he heard that and he focused in on that. And I've seen him react that way before when his family is mentioned, uh, potential corruption is mentioned. And it's not like I'm going to fight for my family's honor. It's like right. that's my vulnerability. Uh, that's I, and he has to address. He has to snap it, sh- shut it down. And it, it's it's a fascinating thing to watch. Uh, he is vulnerable. He knows it, and worse, the Chinese know it. I, I say this all the time. One of the the vulnerabilities of a Democrat is they spend their whole life being protected by the media. They become comfortable with it, and they just assume they can get away with things. And when they actually get scrutinized or questioned on something, they're like, what, what you're supposed to be on my side here. What do you mean? And he feels that way about the laptop, about the documents, about his son, about so many scandals. He thinks I should be getting away with this. I mean, you're on my side guys. Right. And when they actually hear someone and, and you do the best job of anybody, if, if people haven't seen your show, you do the best job of anyone of calling out the media. It's just, it's, it's performance art when you do your uh, media segments He's not going to be able to handle it if they turn on him. And you see it a little bit with the documents and you're going to see it a lot if they decide they're done with him. You know, with the media, not one person in the media has asked Joe Biden about that laptop. Right. Now it's been verified. It's been verified. Triple, double, quadruple. It's, it's true. It's the real deal. Right. Joe Biden lied or at least misrepresented to a hundred million people during the debate, you know, that it was Russia disinformation. He said it, the, 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 the swamp 51 intelligence officials, how he can be in the presence of reporters every single day. He gets questions lobbed at him every day. And that's not asked that that's really creepy about America that we have, do we have a free and fair press? I mean, I want to know that. How about Tony Bobolinsky? This is a real guy, a, a, a businessman with credentials in the world who's met Joe Biden. It's been established. Matter of fact, what he said, like, you can tell us about your conversation with Tony Bobolinsky. And, and just to even confirm for the record that it happened, it's, it's a very, it's, it's almost Soviet. It's Soviet-esque the way our media are behaving.
That could be the best uh, indictment of all is that he never he's never been called by the New York Times, NBC, CNN, Tony Bobulinski, who is single handedly could verify everything, has the receipts and they're not interested. They don't want to hear the name. And then you hear AOC you know, on the House floor saying, oh, this unverified, this fake news. I'm going, wait a second. It's been verified 100 times over. And you can't even admit it. I mean, that, that is scary. The lengths they'll go to help him cover things up. But I, I, will, I, I, I know your time is limited here. I want to get to this book because I'm fascinated by this. I, mean, I talk about this all the time. The war on cops. Your father was police commissioner. Uh, we know that. Um, you're, you're in New York. You know how this all went down. Uh, it's it's you know a, a terrible stain on the country when you think about it. Do you think how big was the George Floyd moment? Uh, was did the did the war on cops begin before that? Was it when BLM after Ferguson? Was it when Obama went to memorialize five murdered cops and blame them? When did the when did things turn and the, the cops become the bad guy to large portions of this country? Well, George Floyd was was the pivotal inflection point, uh, you might say, and the overreaction. That was, that was, everything changed after George Floyd. However, it had been in the works for decades. I mean, the left, I say the subtitle, how the left is wrong about law enforcement. They've always been wrong about law enforcement for a long time. However, you know, like the powers that be, academia, media, they still decried rioting, looting, violence. That was always seen as bad, and at least it was covered and not ignored. That changed in Black Lives Matter summer, and uh, a corporate America thoughtlessly overnight put their logo right next to Black Lives Matter, signing up uh, for their agenda, an agenda they did not understand, but they have since adopted as their own, not asking questions. But look, more specifically, it really started with Obama early in his tenure, Trayvon Martin. When Trayvon Martin uh, was killed by George Zimmerman, which, oh, by the way, was a totally justified uh, self-defense use of force. Uh, Zimmerman was about to be killed by Trayvon Martin. Uh, Zimmerman was found not guilty. But Black Lives Matter was founded, uh, according to the, the creators, in response to Trayvon Martin. But what was really going on, if you take it a step further, Barack Obama's support among uh, black Americans was plummeting. He had been president for two years. The situation in black America had not changed appreciably. Unemployment, poverty, things like that. They weren't seeing any kind of gains. And his support had taken a real hit. So he had to find a way to get back uh, that vote. And instead of speaking the hard truth that he hinted at when he was a candidate, you know, talking about fatherlessness and uh, problems in, in, in the African-American family, he said, I'm not going to do any of that. That's too damaging to my brand. I'm going to go all in on victim culture. And I think you mentioned, um, you know, the, 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 the beer summit. And it, it, that's when he, he chose sides. And he went out of his way to rip this country apart over race, which is really, it's ironic because this was, you know, the post, this was, for a moment, it was a beautiful thing. Look, I admit in the book, I voted for the guy in 2008. I was conned. I was conned. I was also kind of turned off by Sarah Palin for a number of reasons. So, um, 
Does that answer your question? I know it's, kind of well, all over the place. it's interesting you bring up uh, the beer summit. I was uh, the first person, my, uh, my show, we were the first person to talk to Jim Crowley, the, uh, the cop who was invited. He, he blamed the Cambridge police, said they acted stupidly when he had none of the facts. And that's just kind of the way it, it's done with so many of these people. It's weird, Greg. They've accepted this premise that there's systemic racism, that there's uh, that cops are hunting uh, innocent, unarmed black people. You know, LeBron James and others advanced this lie, and it's just so uh, corrosive when you when you think about it. I don't even I don't even think ten years ago people would have accepted that premise. The stats don't back it up. It, it's a lie uh, pushed by these grifters, these BLM grifters, and their friends in the in politics and in the media, and it's just so destructive to this country. You know better than anyone. I always say my, my uh, grandfather was a Boston cop. Your father was the police commissioner in New York. You know cops. You know how they operate. They don't, they don't go out there. They, I mean, the, the idea that they're out there looking, hunting, trying to pull over, arrest, beat, kill black guys is just madness. And it just hurts. It's just so damaging to the country. A lot of liberals have this uh, Starsky and Hutch view of uh, what policing is like, especially Bill de Blasio. He really had no concept of, of what policing had become by the time he became mayor. He had this very uh, kind of ancient view of it all. Well, you know, we're here we are talking about race, and most people are reluctant to talk about it, especially, oh, by the way, if they're white. And one of the points I try to make in my book is uh, if you believe in the Constitution, if you believe that America is fundamentally a good place, might have problems, but is not the problem, we, no matter what our ethnicity or race, have to become comfortable talking about race because right now the only people who are and they they create all the rules all the parameters of the so-called conversation um is the far left most people shut up when it comes up uh we can't allow that anymore and the other thing by the way you mentioned crowley it's funny yeah the beer summit and uh it actually comes up in obama's memoir and it's a little footnote i put it in my book that Obama and his staff, they were kind of, they felt embarrassed that they had to be so nice to Officer Crowley, uh, that, that they had to kind of bend over backwards to be nice to him uh, because they, they, they still thought that he was the dumb cop who overreacted and uh, which, if you know anything about the story, that's not the case. And actually Obama at one point, you know, kind of acknowledges that professor right. Gates was a bit of a hothead <laughs> and he could understand how he'd get under somebody's skin. But, but, it, but it also was, it, he knew skip Gates knew he could use it. He knew he could, it, it would raise his profile. Hell, he got invited to the white house. So he used it. He kind of amplified it. Crowley was just doing his job. It's, and it, we've seen it over and over again. One thing I was going to ask you is, do you mention Ayanna Presley at all in the book? Because she's the worst one of all when it comes to demonizing, lying about cops and labeling them racist, just stereotype. There's no one worse than, than my representative, Ayanna Presley. I'm checking my index right now. I don't recall. <laughs> well, actually, I'll tell you this, Greg. I, 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 here's what you can do. For, you can Google it, as uh, Don Lemon would oh, say. I, I'm, 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 I'm I'm familiar with her. She is a whack job. Totally. So, no, she, she's, there are a lot of people to know. She's not actually in the book. I, 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 I do go after the squad generally as a, okay. as, a, as a group. 
and, well, and, 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 and Bill de Blasio and Eric Adams, these guys, these oh, guys, I love, oh I, love, I love when you go after Eric Adams last night was beautiful when you went after his, uh, his outfit and pointed out all the ridiculous things he's wearing. But, uh, I just, a reminder, it was right after the Chauvin verdict, he got life, you know, he got, they threw the book at him. That's how it works. We went through the legal process. She went on TV. You could see it. And she says in the days after the verdict, the cops in this country have murdered, that's her line, murdered 70 innocent people. She says it and just no blowback, no scrutiny, no, no questioning. Just that's what they did. They went out and murdered 70 more innocent people. This is a, it's a U.S. congressperson who just lied. I went to a rally recently, I walked by a rally in Boston Common, and it was a BLM rally, and they were just chanting, F the cops. And there were kids in the audience, and they're saying how cops are all racist and killers. And it's just somehow been accepted in certain segments that the cops are the bad guys. And it's just, and um, that's why I'm so glad you wrote this book. It's someone has to push back. And you know, it's funny you mentioned Diana Presley. It reminds me of uh, uh, Chuck Schumer sitting with uh, Whoopi Goldberg. And Whoopi Goldberg says, you know, why am I being persecuted as a black woman? How can we allow this to happen? And my voting rights and this and that. And, and instead of correcting her, you know, a Harvard Law graduate, Chuck Schumer, just goes along with it. You know, <laughs> that Whoopi Goldberg has won an Oscar, an Emmy, uh, a Golden Globe, a Tony, oh, it has had a remarkable life. But I do think the elites, the elites have um, corrupted the entire conversation. And too many white liberal politicians are intimidated, just like we talked about earlier when it comes to race. And they'll let the most radical element, often people of color, take this. Who, oh, by the way, don't represent, don't represent uh, the working class folks. They just don't. They're not, but they have sh- they have owned the argument. Right. And it's a tragedy. Well, the greatest example is the defund the police. And you certainly get into that. Uh, there are people who live in the cities whether black, white, Hispanic, they don't, there's not one who wants to get rid of the police. Those are your elites. It's the squad, but it's also your rich white liberals in the suburbs who want to defund and, and let's uh, reallocate. And you're thinking of that, whatever, that bodega owner that, in the, that was on camera when he got attacked and he fought back and he killed the guy. And you're saying, do you think that guy wants to do any, I mean, he wants more cops. He wants them out in front of his store. You can't, do that to these people. And yet it's the liberals who want to do it. Well, it's had a trickle down effect though. I mean, like the the regular people in the street, on the street, walking around New York, whatever, now have an attitude when it comes to cops. You know, I keep hearing about the talk that black parents are forced to have with black children about when you're pulled over and how to behave as if white people have to behave any differently. Uh, but if the talk is actually being had, it's not working. I don't think it actually is uh, or ever was, but people are now gaffing off the cops. You have no authority. You have no moral or legitimate authority over me. They get out of the car. They're putting themselves in danger. Cops are understandably somewhat retreating the Ferguson effect. It's all artificial. My father, he left when he left after 12 years as the top cop in a big city, diverse city, his personal Personal approval rating, it's not that long ago, 2013, was at 75%. In a majority non-white city, the NYPD's approval rating was at 70%. But 
the way the system works now, you can appeal to just a very small number of people, especially here in New York. De Blasio was elected mayor with about 200,000 people voting for him primary in a city of 8 million. That's not a lot of people. So it wasn't like the society gave a mandate, but now his corrupt ideology is actually permeated society. And you have uh, his successor, Eric Adams. You were uh, out ahead of the crowd on that one. He, uh, he kind of uh, uh, fooled a lot of people when he was running. And now he's being mentioned by some as a presidential candidate. I kind of hope that happens just so I can watch you take him apart. What, what did he do to you, by the way? <laughs> well, listen, I've, I've, I've known Eric Adams for a long time. Uh, it was like Al Sharpton joining the police department. He was never a right. police officer. He was running around crying about racism, not going after criminals. He was an activist within the police department, you know, running for this office, running for that office. He quit the police department for a year to run as a Republican for Congress. This is a guy, typical politician in many ways, just always desperately wanted to, to be something. But as far as what he ever did to me, I guess, because you're right. I mean, it's almost personal when it comes to this guy, when he stood up in public and talked about kicking cracker ass in the police department. I mean, it's about as racist as you can get. Right. And that, that was hardly a blip. That was hard. This man is incompetent. This man is, I think, uh, totally unethical, probably corrupt. He was living in New Jersey when he was elected mayor, has no law enforcement credentials whatsoever, yet has <laughs> probably because of identity politics, I mean, and uh, you know, it's very hard for the New York Post editorial board to kind of look. It gets very sensitive for some people when they're talking to Eric Adams, uh, in part because he's black, in part because he looks great, in part. It's almost like they lowered their standards when they talk to him. It's a very peculiar thing. I haven't figured it all out, but um, bad guy, bad mayor. Um, you see in a lot of cities, I mean, we saw it in Memphis, the, the police chief there, they, they, they've gone woke, they've made it, you, you got to check the boxes to get the job. And uh, I'm not sure we're going to have a lot more uh, Ray Kelly's, you know, people who were hired or promoted on merit. You know, I'm not sure that happens much anymore in these big cities. And everyone suffers. Everyone right. suffers when you, when you go looking for the best person and the best person is different for each situation. You know, maybe you want, maybe you want a lawyer who is also a cop who also has experience in, in heavy weapons. And, you know, you, each position is different and you need, you know, you need a unique candidate and you look nationwide for that candidate. Instead they look, okay, find me the nearest black woman you can find. And that's, right. Oh, by the way, what Eric Adams did, he went to the next County over Nassau County suburban to find a perfectly nice woman, but she's never run a big city police department. She's never run a police department. Her name is Keychan Sewell happens to be black happens to be a woman. I bet if they looked harder, there are plenty of black women who were capable of running this department, but not her because when identity politics kicks in, it almost, it, it just, it supersedes everything else. And it's all about checking those boxes, those two boxes that you, whatever the boxes are that you want to check. Right. Unfortunately, competence is not one of those boxes. Right. And we see it every day with the Biden administration and with Buttigieg and Kamala and Kate and cringe Jean-Pierre. But uh, all right, before I let you go, I know you're a Trump guy. I used to be, I'm a DeSantis guy now. 
who's going to be the nominee? Well, I am a Trump guy. Uh, I predicted that it would win the day he declared. Uh, I'm very proud of that, by the way. June 16, 2015. I, I, I just felt it. I knew it. I said it publicly. I was mocked. I was uh, all uh, tortured. But I knew it. I knew it. Uh, I still think that uh, I think he deserves it. I think he can get it. I think DeSantis can be president someday. Uh, not this time. I don't think he's actually going to run. Who knows? But for Trump to win, win the jet, it's going to take a miracle, but miracles have a way of finding Donald Trump. And at the right time, if Donald Trump starts talking to the left, it's almost like Rocky two. I know this sounds childish, but in Rocky two, uh, Rocky Balboa went to uh, right-handed from Southpaw and it totally messed up Apollo Creed and it confused the hell out of him. And I think if Donald Trump at the exact mo- right moment, I don't know when that is, but he starts talking to the left, to the left in this country, that you have nothing to fear from me. This is our document. This, the constitution. And he, I think he can do it in a unique way. And I think he can pull it off. It, it'll be a miracle. But again, mirrors tend to follow this guy around. Well, I've been saying for uh, you know, two years now that I don't want another 78, 80-year-old president. I'll support him if he's the nominee, but I think you get all the, the policies, all the good qualities of Trump with uh, DeSantis. I hope he runs, but I'll certainly support whoever it is, especially if uh, Biden is the nominee. I can't believe you voted for Obama. I just I can't believe that. Well, I listen, let you, I, I, I understand. I, I, put, I, I put it in print. I had to say it. Look, a couple of things. I just if you don't mind. I mean, I understand. I, I'm a different person than I was 15 years ago in a lot of different ways. I mean, and a lot I just I, I look, I found my faith. I stopped drinking. Uh, a lot of things have changed. But back then, um, when John McCain chose Sarah Palin, and I wasn't nearly as ideological as I am now, I was like, there goes the, I, I, I just, I can't, I can't. Sarah Palin had no business being vice president or president. And uh, I thought that was a real danger. Um, in retrospect, uh, I made a mistake. I certainly didn't make it in 2012, although Mitt Romney was no walk in the park yeah. either. <laughs> I, I, Massachusetts. I've never, I've never supported a president more enthusiastic, a candidate more than I supported Mitt Romney. That's my big regret. I cannot believe I supported that, that weasel. And I, I knew him a little bit. We had him on our show and I liked him and I was, I was heartbroken when he lost and looking back, it was a good thing, a good thing for the country. But uh, all right, Greg Kelly, the book is called justice for all how the left is wrong about law enforcement. It looks good. It sounds good. I can't wait to read it. Uh, Greg Kelly, you can see him every night on Greg Kelly reports on Newsmax at 10 PM. I highly recommend that he has my favorite opening monologue of any cable news show. It's a must and a great Twitter follow too. I got to remind people of that Greg Kelly USA. Is that what it is? At Greg Kelly USA and, and Jerry, so kind of you. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you, you Greg. And good, good luck with the book. And uh, we'll talk to you down the road. Thank you, sir. All the best. Bye-bye. Take care. Well, it's the dead of winter, but that doesn't slow down Shea Concrete. They got a huge selection of precast concrete steps ready to be installed at your home. If you're building a new home or remodeling or replacing an old staircase, Shea has great values 
with designs that will fit your home. A new staircase will dramatically upgrade the front entrance of your home, giving you much better curb appeal. You'll be the talk of the town, the envy of the neighborhood. Shea will take care of all this. They remove the old stairs. You don't want to have to do that yourself. When they're done, you'll have a great looking new entrance that will add value to your home. Is not an expense. This is an investment in your home. With one phone call, Shea will deliver a turnkey installation experience. In a few hours, you get a brand new front entrance. Go to SheaConcrete.com to learn more. Also, you can go there and look for a job. Right now, Shea is hiring. They've got between 15 to 20 open positions. These are career opportunities for all different types of people with all different types of skill sets. All you got to do is pass a drug test. All right, that'll do it for this marathon Monday. Thanks to uh, our friend Jeff Bowman. Thanks to uh, Greg Kelly. Uh, you can get his book wherever you get your books, Justice for All, and uh, it's good. And watch him, 10 p.m. every night. I don't miss it. He's good. He's really good at commenting and uh, and qui- and quips and joking around and, and, and telling you how it really is and uh, all about the latest news of the day. He does a good job. But anyway, that's it for today. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thank you, Ironhead. I'm Jerry Callahan. This is the Callahan Show, and we will talk to you again tomorrow. Here tonight, shaking my head and thinking something ain't right. Is it just me? Am I losing my mind? Am I standing on the edge of the end of time? Am I the only one? Tell me I'm not. Like the show? Leave a five-star review on Apple and Spotify. Hi, it's Tony Marino, host of the Newsmax Daily Podcast, your daily news bulletin of Newsmax's top headlines, along with commentary from our hosts and experts. You can learn more about all of the free podcasts, including Newsmax Daily, Rob Carson, and Jerry Callahan at Newsmax.com slash listen.